Hello and welcome back to the Relationship Matters podcast. We believe relationship matters, from humanity to nature to the larger whole. I'm your host, Katie Churchman, and in the final episode of season four, I'm talking with Kiki Kessler about vulnerability in relationship. How does vulnerability show up in relationship? Across this conversation, we discuss patterns in relationship, expressing what you need, owning I don't know as a pathway into vulnerability, choosing to be vulnerable, and the impact of control and the value of playfulness. Kiki Kessler is a CRR Global Faculty Member for both courses and the certification program. Kiki believes that the value of working with teams, individuals and relationships lies in the balance between revealing to the clients what is trying to happen and educating them on how to self-manage similar issues in the future for a more positive and productive relationship. Kiki focuses on people development and brings 20 plus years of experience in cultural diversity, coaching, training and team management across various industries with corporate roles in sales and marketing, business development and training. She specialises in team development, conflict resolution, leadership skills and systemic coaching. She is known to create a trusted atmosphere of positive energy that encourages the client to align, communicate, learn and implement change behaviour. With clear education and the use of practical tools, Kiki inspires a can-do spirit among leaders. Her strength lies in combining coaching and training skills to enable growth. Originally from the Netherlands, she speaks Dutch, English and German. Her cross-cultural experience was established through living in Austria, the United States, Germany and the UAE over the past 18 years, working within culturally diverse environments, organisations and teams. After a four-month adventurous drive from Dubai back to the Netherlands, Kiki and her family are now based closer to Utrecht in the Netherlands. So without further ado, I bring you Kiki Kessler talking about vulnerability in relationship. Kiki, welcome to the Relationship Matters podcast. I'm very happy to have you on the show today. Well, thank you, Katie. I'm super excited. We've been talking about this for some time, so we finally made it. Thank you for, for having me here. And today we're talking about vulnerability, in particular, vulnerability in relationships. So why this topic, Kiki? Well, it actually just came up. I was listening to somebody on LinkedIn, I think, or reading something. And then I, I thought, let's let's reach out. This might be something. There's something in it to explore on how this shows up in the work that we do, but mostly in the relationships that we're part of, how we show up in life. It, um, yeah, it did something to me on the inside. And I noticed there's, there's almost a vulnerability in talking about vulnerability because it's quite exposing in some ways. Have you found that sort of coming to this conversation today? Oh, yes. Um, I was having a walk in the forest yesterday with the dog. It was a beautiful sunny day. And I was kind of talking to the dog and to the trees and the birds and myself about this topic just to see what would come up if I would just talk about it. And then it struck me that this is a way of exposing myself. This is showing up in a vulnerable way. I'm a front of the room leader as well for CRR Global. And there I always have a timeline to fall back on or a co-lead who can fill in the gaps or who I can lean into, into our third entity. And we know the topic, we know what we're talking about most of the time. 
But here I'm like, well, let's let's see what shows up. I'm by no means an expert or a specialist on vulnerability. So to really dive into this topic with you is is kind of edgy. There's no timeline. <laughs> and yet that is what I'd argue is what makes you in some ways an expert because you're a human being, you've lived these experiences that make us very human. And in sharing that, that is vulnerability 101 in my eyes. Yeah. So let's see. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what, what shows up between us as we're having this conversation. Yeah. So in terms of vulnerability and relationships, where have you recently found this to be most useful? Well, my husband and I, we've, we've been together this year for 20 years and married this month for 14. And after so many years together, we've been, of course, like any other couple, developing certain patterns in the way that we respond to each other, the way that we cross edges together. And because of life, because of life events, we've been going through quite a lot of myth changes over the last couple of years. Some were self-chosen, others were thrown upon us. And that caused us to be quite detached from each other, quite snappy, quite unfulfilled in the relationship, if I'm really honest. And instead of me as a relationship coach, trying to look at what does this third entity need? Uh, what do the people need to do in this relationship? I wasn't really part of the relationship. I didn't really allow myself to fully show up being myself. I was more looking at it from a bird's eye view, like an external coach. Uh, looking at our own marriage until I got tired of that role. Uh, also realizing that I couldn't coach my own relationship. I mean, we tell everybody in the courses, right? And still there is that sense of, but I know I should know I do this work. I train other people up in this. Of course I can do this. And, and it turned out I couldn't. So we ask for help. I think that's where vulnerability already showed up asking for help. And we went to see a relationship therapist and up until now, only a couple of times, but I think the key part that showed up there is that, well, a few things actually. One is that, can you express your need? So feel what you feel, get in touch with your bodily experiences, what emotions show up with that? And then what need arises out of that? And can you express that? And I realized that I hadn't been expressing my real needs I've been complaining, I've been finger pointing, blaming, being unhappy, but I didn't really share what I needed. And that felt very vulnerable to do, still is, we're still learning. But to express what you really need with the risk, because you can't expect that what I need, that my husband will fulfill that need, right? There is, yeah, there's no promise that he can or want to. So there's a risk that 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 need won't get fulfilled or rejected or whatever the response might be. So I think there's a lot of vulnerability in that. And then on the other hand, there is also not taking too much responsibility for what the other person needs, um, the ability to say no to things. And, and I think there's a vulnerability in that too, because from my past, the way I grew up in, in the household, the family of, uh, with my parents and my sister, I always wanted to protect the relationship. 
when my parents were fighting or in an unhappy place as a role within the relationship within that bigger system, my sister and I, we would take that role of harmonizer, of clearing the air, of being a place for the, where the parents could vent or ventilate, <laughs> arguable. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that harmonizer, that protecting the relationship has always been a big part of me. I had to unlearn that as a coach, but I think in my own marriage that has shown up a lot again. So allowing vulnerability and not being attached to what the relationship, where it wants to go is, wow, it's such a different experience because then the relationship can really evolve. And it strikes me that I know all the theory, but to really practice that in the relationship is, is another thing. What strikes me about what you're saying is it started with you owning that I don't know and I don't have to know what this looks like for my relationship. And that's really hard to do, particularly when we're in this role of coach or leader or front of the room leader. I've noticed that in my own marriage, it's how come I'm not getting this right? I just taught the toxins and I'm now stepping into blaming or defensiveness. And yet to own, I don't know, that feels like almost the door that opened up everything else that followed. Well, and we're still in that process, mm. but I think it creates freedom to not know. Yeah. It, it allows us to have less expectations of each other, of what it should look like. There's more space with that. Marita shared this example of Arnie Mandel in a big group process. And apparently he'd often come with the stance of, I don't know. And so there'd be a room of people not sure what to do. And he'd be like, I don't know, actually. What do you think? And there's something so powerful about that stance. And yet it's not something we're taught to do. And so it doesn't necessarily come naturally. I think in our education and our careers, we're told to know. Mm -hmm. And then what does that do to our relationships when we always know and have to know? Well, it doesn't do a lot of good. Uh, I noticed. I mean, not knowing doesn't mean that you're detaching yourself, right? Or that you're up or mm. um, not knowing is just showing up saying, hmm, let's see what might emerge if we all don't know or if we don't pretend to know. Because, and this started very young already for me in university where I was given a role where I had to kind of teach younger students a certain skill. I studied hospitality management. I became this micromanager because I thought I had to know everything. It was very uncomfortable. They said, Kiki, I like you outside of these hours <laughs> together, but here you show up straight. And I still have that sometimes where I feel stepping into a new role that I need to know. And it makes me very stuck up, not free, not open. Uh, yeah, having a, a very different impact on how I would like it to be. On the other hand, with not knowing and letting things emerge and choosing to be vulnerable. So very often as a front of the room leader, we have the chance to be coached by our colleague in a demo. And in order to help students cross their edges, go a little deeper, go a little further than where they thought they were going to go, we can choose to be vulnerable and pick a topic that's really real in our lives. I mean, that's the benefit also of having this role. We get free coaching every now and again, right? <laughs> The impact, if it's real, 
if if you know it's not it's not a theater show that we're putting on by any means but if we allow ourselves to be vulnerable and i've noticed when i do so when i really look at some of the the parts of my life where it's difficult and explore that being witnessed by all these beautiful participants there's a different emotional field afterwards which allows yeah the students then to say hmm let's actually pick something that is not out there with my client or out there or i can see. no it's something that's really going on in their lives and that's important to them and then their practice has a whole different impact than would they have chosen something a little less edgy and there's no right or wrong i mean everybody crosses their the edges that they're ready to cross but it does it does invite people to do so i'm noticing that the idea of sort of scripted acting versus improvisation is coming up for me. Mm. And it makes me think of, um, there's this play called People, Places, Things. And there's this wonderful monologue that talks about, you know, in a play, I have my script, I have where to stand, I have my costume, you know, the lights are on me, I know exactly what to do. Mm. But the actress really struggle with her life because you don't have those directions. You don't have that, that control. And I wonder whether there's almost this sort of releasing of control in this vulnerability it's more of an improvisation where you're open to to things showing up that you didn't expect does that resonate with you yeah absolutely because then you can really feel then your mind is not an overdrive the information is coming from different places impulses show up emotions appear things that i might have marginalized kept in secondary for a long time they can suddenly come to the forefront it's not the mind controlling it's the whole being allowing that to be part of the conversation of the coaching of the moment i guess my question then is how do we how do we infuse vulnerability into our days or our trainings when we do have more of a, a- a plan or an agenda. Maybe we have to, I don't know, get the kids to school. We have to get to this meeting or maybe we're running a training where there is a clear framework to follow. How do we do that and infuse vulnerability so it doesn't become so robotic and close to this influence that we're talking about? I would like to say, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Practicing what we preach. (laughs) Because it's not easy. I think it really also starts, for me at least, I I like to say I'm not a morning person. And this week, my husband is away on a a trip in the mountains. So that's really lovely. But that also means that I need to get out of bed in the morning to get the kids out of bed, to get them ready for school, to get them to school on time. And that's quite a challenge for me personally. I've been through quite some, some challenging times since end of well since a year now my mom passed away last year and that that really is teaching me to take time for me to to allow time for feeling in pain for feeling the need to be alone for feeling nothing <laughs> but really being more conscious about that because i've also been in places and i'm still unlearning certain habits that are not good for me, like going to bed late, going um, to social media for hours on end, eating way too much chocolate. You know, those are things that are that can be nice to give yourself if there is a limit to it. But when it's limitless, it's not showing up vulnerable. It's actually shying away from vulnerability. 
So why am I talking about this? Because through this process of of losing my mom and and mourning that and all of the pain and the physical stuff that that is coming out like neck pain and back pain and there's so much tension that that wants to be released i'm learning how to better self-care but it's really baby steps it's not so easy to unlearn habits that have been with me for a long time so I think that self-care piece, listening to what do I really need, uh, not shying away from those needs, allows me then to go to bed on time, take the bike instead of the car. I kick myself over an edge. I'm going to Pilates again for the first time since forever this week. Hmm. Um, There are so many things that I have a choice if I say, yes, I am vulnerable. Yes, I I don't know, but I'm going to try rather than shying away from it, acknowledging it and making different choices from that place. And I think that might be in a very <laughs> long-winded way to answer your question, the thing that I think will help me to be in the moment to get the kids to school, to do the work, to because it's it's not that it needs to be perfect bless my parents, but they both have and had quite a perfectionist streak to them in some levels of their lives, not in everything, which gave me a lot. There's a whole high quality level that that I aspire to because of that. But it also limits. If you think that everything needs to be perfect, then, then I shy away from even trying it or going in overdrive or being frustrated when it doesn't look that way. If it's not perfect, I get frustrated. So it's like, well, maybe there's another way that it wanted, this wanted to evolve, or maybe maybe this is what it actually wanted to look like. Maybe, maybe I didn't know all the other options of looking at this particular situation or being in this situation. So yeah, it's again, letting go of thinking that I need to know everything, that I have an answer to everything, that I need to be involved in everything, that I, it's a lot to take on. So like I said earlier, it's a bit of a freeing sensation to to be more vulnerable. That's a very powerful example of, I didn't think about how vulnerability gives us more choice and how in saying, I know, we shut down all of the other options. Because hmm. as we know from Orsk, we all hold a piece of the truth. But as soon as you say, I don't know, in a connected way, as you said before, not disconnected and uncaring, you open yourself up to a whole range of options and I've not thought before that actually that is a path into to new choices and patterns that may serve us better. Yeah. I wanted to check about when you said about presence and spending time with yourself. I know last year when we were working together, you mentioned about some work around embodiment. And I wonder if that's at all fed into your, your vulnerability practice. <laughs> <laughs> How did you know? No, uh, well... Yes, I, I've been taking some some wonderful um, embodied leadership courses, and also there, and and I'm seeing a physio physiotherapist and an osteopath for some of the physical uh, symptoms that I'm having right now, like pain. At the same time, do I really follow the instructions that they give me? Do I do the practices that I learned in the embodied leadership? <laughs> mm, sometimes, <laughs> on a good day. Yeah, I don't know. I think, like I said, it's baby steps in that self-care. Embodiment and vulnerability. 
I think my body is saying is saying help, like do something for yourself. And 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 with my mom, I I saw that she wasn't doing a lot to stay fit even before she got ill. But in the last years of her life, she was kind of yeah okay with not being so fit. So that for me was like, oh, you know, don't become like her and really make sure that you get fit. But then I don't really do it most of the time. So I think there is still something vulnerable in it. I haven't figured that out, why that is. Is it discipline? Is it really caring? Is it the need to look good? I don't know. I really don't know how the embodied practice is going to come into this work, but I know there is something with it. I'll let you know <laughs> once I figure that one out. But if you have a hunch, I don't know. Well, I, I was thinking as you were talking about the presence and the time with yourself, how we often, I mean, I think with this topic, it, there's a lot of theory around vulnerability. There's a lot of research. There, there's many books, there's many TED talks and it's very much an intellectual standpoint in terms of how we understand vulnerability. And I guess I'm wondering how does vulnerability live in our bodies and where might there be intelligence that we're not tapping into just because it's not showing up in the, the usual way we process information? Well, in that regard, I definitely think that whatever you or whatever I probably wasn't fully processing on an awareness level, my body is, is giving me a lot of information beginning of a like not a frozen shoulder but there's something going on on the left shoulder um, I had dizzy spells the weeks after my mom passed uh, there was a lot of information my body was telling me to actually slow down take care of this wonderful envelope that you're living in in this life don't just go on autopilot but I think it was a big message for me to self-care. So not just on an emotional or mental level, um, but also on a physical level. And it probably will keep telling me stuff until I really start doing so. I think that word you used, autopilot, stands out because I think vulnerability is never going to be our autopilot default mode because mm. it does the opposite of protect us in some ways, or at least in terms of our ancient instincts, it feels very exposed, very open. And that perhaps wasn't so useful to us thousands of years ago. But now we're starting to see that it's not just a strength in our, our personal relationships, but our, our leadership too. Have you noticed that in terms of maybe that backwards understanding of how we protect ourselves and how we open ourselves up? Yeah, well, I, it automatically, and I think you mentioned that before, but it, it takes me back to these toxic behaviors that people come up with probably unintentionally, but in times of stress, in times of conflict, in times of change, uh, when we look at teams, when working with teams. And there is always an underlying purpose to these toxins. And, and when we explore them with teams through the use of the toxins grid, for instance, it, it has an element of protection, like you just said, like something, a shield, to make us feel better about, or to make these team members feel better about themselves um, in, in those moments where it's not yet so safe, where the trusting environment is still establishing. And, and especially when then a team member starts to speak that voice of vulnerability, it's so important to highlight that, to feel into the emotional field. Like, how is it different now that we hear this voice 
being expressed on behalf of your team. But at the same time, it's also very important to catch it when out of that knee-jerk autopilot reaction, there is a response that kind that often wants to shut down that vulnerable voice. And hey, I'm living in the Netherlands. I am Dutch. I recognize it when sarcasm is offered as a joke. And that happened last week when I was working with a team. And it happened more than once. And when we were in the toxins grid, it happened again. I was like, okay, just slow down. What just happened? You know, what was your intention? What was the impact? And you could just feel like a whole shift taking place in that system because it was named and it was it was not made wrong, but it was acknowledged that there there is a pattern. So those kind of interventions and, and realizations for the team will help them to feel more trusting towards each other, which in the end then also allows them to show up more and more vulnerable, which again creates more trust. So there is that constant uh, building on each other when teams learn how to do that. And from my fur, my own bodily responses in that. So again, you were asking, how does the body give you information? I don't know how that is for you, but when I'm working with a team where there's a lot and any relationship, by the way, that I'm part of in that moment where there is tension, I can feel it in my body. My knees start to shake. I get a like a like butterflies, but unhappy butterflies in my stomach. <laughs> My heart rate might go up a bit. I start to feel a shiver in my voice. So, yeah, there's a lot of information that tells me like something's going on. Something is off here or needs attention. So I use my body a lot for that. And then exposing that, saying, hey, this is what's going on for me. What's happening for you? That's, again, a way of showing up vulnerable and allowing and inviting others to actually express what's going on for them. I like where you're pointing us as well in terms of how some of the toxins show up in quite subtle ways and in ways we might dismiss as, oh, that's just who we are as a team or a couple. And I've noticed with quite a few of the couples I've coached as of late, Mm. uh, primarily in the UK, and then also um, some couple friends, that in the UK there's a lot of banter and that shows up a lot in couples. And you realise that it's quite playful and it seems harmless but actually that stops vulnerability from ever really showing up. And, I, and this isn't to diagnose all of those couples, but one couple, for example, it turned out that one of the partners had never been given praise growing up. So to, to receive praise is, is so hard and almost hurtful, whereas it's much easier to get like a joke from the partner. But all of those sort of almost playful mechanisms that we've inherited or adapted in our lives, they're not always the most skillful ways of showing up together. And it makes me think, why don't we prototype more in our relationships? It seems like we just inherit what we've got or we we learn some ways of being with this new partner or this team. And that's just what we do. And we don't think, actually, this is 101, but what about, you know, the, the point two version of this or point three? Like with all of our other projects and processes we we strategize we we prototype we improve and yet i don't know why with relationship it's like we expect to know how to do it straight away and then what we've got is what we've got (laughs) so right there's so much generational baggage that we keep carrying with us like a dead horse sometimes i mean again you know there's lots of good stuff coming from (laughs) from our ancestors 
but there's stuff that you think really why why we're showing up i'm showing up like my mom and you're showing up like your dad <laughs> that is not a good combination <laughs> so yeah but it takes awareness and it takes again i don't know if it's just vulnerability i think it's also some some courage to say come on i know that we're doing this but is this really how we want to be my pitfall is that i then fall into that coach mode Yes, because, you know, I know the theory or I know the potential. I I can see what we could end up like. But can I just let that role sit on the side and just be me in that relationship? And again, say, say how I feel, not like this is this is what I can see for us. No, this is what I need right now is very different. And you can see how damaging that can be in the long term. You know, these, these patterns that play out, that when they play out for so long, it's like, wow, I've never actually expressed myself in this way for so long. And this is a big part of who I am. To give you an example, there was this couple I was working with and they were talking about their engagement. And it was meant to be this quite funny story, but it was quite spiteful in the end. Like there was sort of quite a lot of this didn't go right and this didn't go right. And it was a real challenges, problems narrative and like poking fun of the other. But you've got to think like, that's your story going into your hopefully lifelong relationship. Is this who you want to be together? Of course, being playful and funny is great, but there was a lot of bitterness under the surface. And I wonder what it would be like if in all of our relationships, we were stopping and thinking more, is this who we want to be together? Is this really who we want to be together in the next, you know, 10 years or 50 years? Or do we want to bring a different energy? I love how you're bringing in the the design team alliance here. And it's so important to revisit that. Especially when when these myth changes have arrived. Like I said, at choice or just thrown upon your relationship. Are we daring to say to each other, hey, this has served us up until now. And probably a little bit earlier than that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it's serving us anymore to show up the way we do. How do we want to be together? I mean... I'm turning I'm turning 45 next week and I'm like okay I'm definitely halfway right <laughs> if not past midpoint so the notion of life is not forever is well, I mean hopefully there's still lots of time ahead but you never know right so to become more aware of that and saying hey great If we can spend our life together, wonderful, but here are my terms, or this is what I would need. And it doesn't, again, mean that my husband needs to fulfill all those needs, but at least put it all on the table and create from that again. I I don't think we've had that exact conversation, like I just mentioned it, but we're we're in it. We're doing more of that. We're having more conversation. We're asking more about how do you feel and not immediately looking for how do we solve this, which in all fairness is more his kind of style to approach uh, what shows up for us. And, and But can we also challenge each other in that and, and role switch, even though, yes, men do more of that and women do more of this, but it doesn't have to look that way. So also those kind of things. Can we, can we be a bit more playful? I think that is one more thing that starts to show up with showing up more vulnerable. Like we spoke about, you know, having more freedom, more openness for new information, more choice, but a bit more playfulness as well. 
and see the whole person because I show up like more like myself. I show up with all the the nice and un, not so nice and pretty and not so pretty parts. I think if I do that and he does that, then we can see each other as as whole human beings and not just the thing that we didn't like anymore and we focus on. And you know, the 2% truth and the more that I focus on it, the bigger it becomes. And yeah, so it brings more playfulness and joy if you get to experience each other's whole range again. It feels like such a live conversation, even though I'm sure it's challenging at times. It feels like it's so energized and real. Yeah, what a way to be in relationship because I think many of us, even if our primary isn't positive or fully positive, we hold on to it, right? Because it's what we know. And there is vulnerability in letting go of the primary, even if the primary sucks, which is so interesting, isn't it? Because we're so not good at change as human beings that we will hold on to something that is rubbish for a lifetime just because it's what we know, which baffles me. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that's what's true for many people. And also maybe not knowing another way having not had examples. I mean, we're very privileged. We're in an environment surrounded by wonderful coaches, trainers, specialists on topics. We have so much exposure to this kind of material, which inspires and and allows you to say, hey, how does it actually work in my life? But a lot of people don't know abyss or, or might not have access to it. Or so there is of course, you can say you always have a choice, but there is no choice than just staying put. So I feel very privileged to know some of these options on how to make change and be able to go and see a professional who can help us have different types of conversations. And yeah, that definitely helps. And I think what you said there made me think as well, it's it's really quite simple. Whilst this work can get quite complicated in terms of systems theory and the tools, Really, it's about relationship first. And so often I come back to that with my clients, with my marriage, with my friends, with my mother. (laughs) Relationship first. And it's not something that comes naturally to me, at least. I don't think in general as humans, we're designed to go relationship first. And yet when we do, it's it's a very different way of living and loving and leading. Mm. Yeah. And and, and the funny thing, and I, I totally hear you. And I don't think that I've really put relationship first in the way that you are describing it. But the interesting thing for me recently is that I've always put the relationship first in such a way that I forgot to, or I I didn't really acknowledge my part in that relationship. Ah. So the relationship had to work and I would do anything for that, but therefore I wasn't fully in it. Because okay. I was more relationship on having other people express their voice stronger and me adapting to that. Would you say there was more social intelligence then, but you kind of lacked maybe tuning into what that emotional intelligence was saying? Would you say that was perhaps the compromise for you? Yeah, yeah. I wasn't allowing my own voice to be really present or my own needs. And um, and I think that's where the vulnerability piece in to and you see all these three types of intelligence emotional social and relationship systems intelligence are necessary <laughs> to, yeah. to function if i if i only sit on social intelligence and relationship systems and intelligence but i forget my own part in it doesn't work either well then it's really not complete is it because if it doesn't include you it's not the relationship 
And so maybe we need to rework that relationship first statement for people like you who are more empathetic. <laughs> like relationship first, and that includes you, because I think it does easily distract us or detract us from us. And I think as coaches and leaders, we tend to focus on others. And then maybe we do do a disservice to ourselves. And then the relationship, because we're a part of that. Yeah, which is interesting because we also... You know, when when people come to, for instance, the certification course, in the beginning, what uh, I often see, because I'm also a cohort leader and a supervisor in, in uh, certification programs for CRR Global, is that there's a lot of focus on, I want to learn how to do this better with my clients, which is absolutely true. You know, the, the mastery of using the tools, skills, and competencies is partially going to pay your bills. And that's why you've entered the program. Totally get that. I think that was true for me too. Towards the end of the program, there is uh, usually this notion of, I've changed so much as a person. I see myself differently showing up in the world, in the relationships that I'm part of. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that is something that, that brings me a lot of fulfillment and joy when people speak to that personal impact that they've experienced through this work. And that speaks to how, maybe it was Faith who said it, but um, how relationship systems intelligence includes and transcends EQ and SI. So it's not separate from, it's not, you know, one and not the other. It's all of it. And it's something more than one plus one equals three. Yeah. Thank you so much for this gorgeous conversation, Kiki. I've had an absolute blast dancing with you today and I can't wait to get you back on for season five. I'm already signing you up for episodes in season five. <laughs> Great. I think um, first edge of putting myself out there <laughs> on this platform, on the beautiful platform that you've created is part of like we started the conversation with, you know, to show up vulnerable. I think it's less about what other people will think of it. Of course, there is an aspiration that this will be inspirational or bring some value to other people. But in the end, it's more on having a great conversation with you, if it's recorded or not. But, uh, yeah, and, and express this. If you need to talk sometimes outside of your own head and not just to the dog and the trees and the birds. <laughs> But to have a, a real conversation with the wonderful questions that you've asked. And um, and that, that takes us to new information. So thank you very much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you for walking your talk. And uh, I know that this is going to be inspiration for many people. Thank you, Kiki, and take care. A huge thanks to Kiki for that wonderful discussion that explored some of the different dimensions of vulnerability. Here are my key takeaways. Allowing vulnerability and not being attached to where the relationship wants to go can be a very liberating experience and one that creates the space for the relationship to evolve. Taking the stance of I don't know doesn't mean you are detaching and not caring. It means you're showing up and holding a stance of let's see what might emerge if we don't know or don't pretend to know. Vulnerability is also about being present with your own needs. Relationship systems intelligence is incomplete if it doesn't include emotional intelligence or the system of me. Relationship systems intelligence includes and transcends emotional intelligence, EQ, and social intelligence, SI, and holds that one plus one equals three. As we come to the end of season four, a mammoth season of 30 episodes with the podcast hitting 80,000 downloads, 
from across 129 countries. I want to say a huge thanks to all the wonderful guests who joined me across this season and also a huge thank you to you for supporting and sharing this podcast and joining us in putting relationship first. Relationships really do matter, so thank you for being in relationship with this podcast and we so look forward to welcoming you back for season five later in the year. In the meantime, do look out for special bonus episodes that will be launching over the coming months. Thank you for listening to the Relationship Matters podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your colleagues and friends so that we can continue to spread these ideas across the globe. And if you haven't already, do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you never miss an episode. And for more information on the ORS courses, please visit crrglobal.com. For over 20 years, CRR Global has accompanied leaders, teams and practitioners on their journey to stronger relationships by focusing on the relationship itself, not only the individuals occupying it. This leads to a community of change makers around the world. Supported by a global network of faculty and partners, we connect, inspire and equip change agents to shift systems one relationship at a time. We believe relationship matters, from humanity to nature to the larger whole.